Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our Big Island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha. Welcome to Island Conversations. As we sit here in the time of COVID-19, most of us can find a little bit. Stores beginning to open, but things not being back to full reality. We have to remember that there are things going on beyond COVID-19, and one of those is our volcanoes. Today, we're going to be talking with the scientist in charge at Hawaiian Volcano Observatory, Tina Neal, because I wanted to get an update on Kilauea, which we have to remember had its major eruption just two years ago, starting at the very beginning of May in 2018. I also want to get an update on Mauna Loa and also some scientists from the University of Miami in Florida wrote a paper that is getting some conversation around it, suggesting that what caused the 2018 eruption of Kilauea was heavy rainfall. Now, I'm not a scientist, but to me that sounded unusual given that our island always gets a lot of rainfall but that's one of the things we're going to ask scientist in charge tina neal about so let's get to our conversation good morning aloha tina neal thank you so much for being with us great to be here thank you sherry Ms. Neal, as you know, what I really want to talk about is getting an update on Mount Aloha and Kilauea and talking about a recent study that indicated that some scientists think that Kilauea's latest eruption was caused by rainfall. But before we do that, I just want to ask you, here we are in the time of COVID-19, and you've had sort of a challenge over the past two years, because when the Kilauea eruption began in May of 2018, you were living inside Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, and you had to move. So what's your situation now? Because you've sort of been displaced for about two years. Personally, we're in fine shape. We're staying with friends here on the Big Island. So I'm I'm feeling settled and, and well enough uh, appropriated to continue my work. I think, importantly, it's HVO has been operating in this sort of chaotic, make-do, um, have-to-be-nimble-and-adaptive routine now since the beginning of the 2018 eruption. So this is sort of our standard operating environment right now to adapt to sudden challenges. As you know, most people are teleworking, and generally because of the eruption crisis, HVO had to really perfect its ability to have people do work remotely since we HVO had to leave the national park and set up in a new building. So our IT folks have really done a great job at equipping everybody and making sure our IT and telecommunication systems are in place to allow us to work remotely and have it be done well. Tina, right now, the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory staff is, well, when people actually can go to work, they're in the Ironworks building in Hilo. Are you anticipating that as HVO's permanent home for the time being? HVO will be in the Ironworks for a couple of years, uh, however long it takes to uh, get our new facilities constructed. And those timelines are are really hard to be exact, but uh, we're making progress on, on building both a new facility in Hilo and then also a field station up back in Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. Wow. So where is the HVO field station going to be inside the park? What's your assessment of that? 
That decision has not been made, but it's important uh, to share that Hawaii Volcanoes National Park and the USGS are going to be seeking public comment on some conceptual designs to replace critical park infrastructure, including changes to their visitor center and the Gragger Museum, including the new USGS field station. I think they're really looking for the public to advise on what they'd like to see redone in the summit. So can you tell us where in the park they might be, or do we not have any idea yet? They've given us three choices. Ultimately, it's their decision. But these will be presented as scenarios in this public comment period. But for the foreseeable future, we'll be, we'll be basing out of Ironworks and also a warehouse facility up in Keao. And so the new headquarters in Hilo, where is that going to be? There's been absolutely no final decision, and no one has signed any agreement yet, but we're looking, we're in negotiation with the university for some property, uh, just Malka of the main university campus. Oh, well, that's good. That makes perfect sense, because you have collaborated a lot with a lot of the scientists at UH Hilo. Oh, that's right. There are many, many positives about being in that location, including expanded collaboration with the university, expanded student opportunities, and, and other things. Okay, so let's get to what I really wanted to have you update everybody on. And the first thing is Mauna Loa. We have talked over the past many, many years about the potential of Mauna Loa erupting, and it was looking like it might, and then it pulled back. Where are we today at the beginning of May 2020? Well, the story on Mauna Loa is that we are still in a time when the volcano is exhibiting low-level signs of unrest. And by that, I mean earthquake counts and the rate of deformation or ground deformation. is These rates are slightly above a long-term background level of quiet. As you know, we are at alert level advisory, which is one step up from quiet. And again, that reflects the fact that we're still seeing... 40, 50 or more earthquakes per week under the summit and upper rift zones of Mauna Loa and upper west flank. And the GPS stations and tilt meters and um, other deformation information we receive from satellite are showing that the volcano is inflating fairly steadily. All of that reflecting recharge of magma into the shallow reservoir. So the short answer is we are pretty much at the same place we were about four or five years ago when Mauna Loa was showing some very low-level signs of unrest. There's no sign that an eruption is imminent or in the very near future. We would certainly expect to see dramatic changes from the current rate of seismicity and deformation. Okay, well, that's good to know so that people don't get concerned or too nervous about it. My recollection is in the past when Mauna Loa did erupt, you did have a few months of increased activity, and is that sort of what we might expect in the future if there were to be an eruption coming to Mauna Loa? That still is our expectation. You are correct. And in retrospect, uh, earthquake counts were were tailing up um, well before the last eruptions. But the final warning in the last few eruptions was relatively short. However, one thing to keep in mind is that in 1975 and 1984, when uh, Mauna Loa last erupted, the monitoring networks were much more rudimentary, far fewer stations, uh, far less real-time data. So we're in a much better position now to pick up the very early warning signals that the volcano is progressing towards an eruption. Okay, well, that is very good news. Now, obviously, I think everybody on this island will remember that Kilauea had a massive eruption in the summer of 2018 that destroyed 700 homes and really pretty much changed life for a good part of the island. Where are we now with Kilauea volcano? What's its status? Kilauea volcano, in contrast to Mauna Loa, is at alert level normal, which is the lowest level, meaning pretty much the volcano is fairly quiet. 
Uh, that doesn't mean we aren't seeing changes and we aren't seeing signs of activity. It's just that it's very low level and we don't feel that there's any imminent threat. The overall picture at Kilauea right now is that the magmatic system is slowly recharging. That is recovering from the big events of 2018. There are signs that magma may be uh, reaccumulating in the shallow reservoir system at a low rate and also reaccumulating in the, in the east rift zone. But we're not seeing signs of uh, ramping up of either earthquake activity or deformation. There are some changes here and there that we're watching carefully, but overall the volcano is pretty quiet. The other big change at Kilauea, of course, is the appearance of the water lake at the summit that began in late July of 2019. That water lake, which is, was a wonderful surprise for all of us, in retrospect, it shouldn't have been surprising because we know that the collapse of the summit uh, punched deeply enough into the volcano that it reached down below the adjacent water table. Uh, I just checked the data this morning. It looks like the, the depth of that lake approaching 35 meters or about 115 feet, and it's been rising pretty steadily since we first uh, detected it in late July of last year. The lake's been sampled twice by UAV, and as folks may know, the chemistry of the lake is consistent with groundwater that's interacting chemically with the basaltic blocks that form the walls and the floor of the inner crater. The pH of the lake is around 4, so it's mildly acidic. Uh, and these are not too surprising. We're trying to keep track of how the lake is changing, both in terms of its depth and size, uh, its color, and its behavior. We'll be getting additional samples as soon as we can fly the aircraft again. And uh, it's something we're keeping an eye on. A big question that the lake poses for people is what does this mean about future eruptions at the summit of Kilauea, and could they be explosive? And that is certainly a possibility that we're considering right now, how rising magma, once it hits the surface beneath a lake, would interact and produce explosions is something that's uh, very much on the minds of our geologists. How about instrumentations up on Kilauea? I know you lost a lot during the eruption, but I know you also have been replacing a lot. So where do you stand with being able to effectively monitor Kilauea volcano? Both Kilauea and Mauna Loa are, are well-monitored volcanoes, and we did lose some equipment in 2018, and we are preparing to reinstall and add some additional instrumentation in the coming years. Uh, we have some funding from Congress to allow us to do that, so we will be beefing up our networks uh, on both volcanoes, but we're in pretty good shape. We did add some new camera systems looking down at the water lake at the summit of Kilauea, and those are available on our website. That is a way for people and HVO to track the visual observations and the thermal observations of the lake. We're discussing some additional seismometers to be installed uh, around the summit. And one thing I'd like to point out is just last week, HBO field team successfully installed a new gas monitoring instrument up at the summit of Mauna Loa. So back to Mauna Loa, inside the summit caldera, last week on Monday, a multi-gas instrument was put down on the floor. This is basically sniffing gas coming out of a fumarole on the caldera floor and measuring sulfur dioxide, carbon dioxide, hydrogen sulfide, uh, temperature, and some and some meteorologic uh, parameters. So we're very happy about that. This is uh, the first time in some years now we've had a, a look at the real-time degassing going on at the summit of Mount Loa. Well, speaking of gassing, is there what I would call VOG? I mean, I know it's nothing like what it used to be, but is there enough gas coming out of either anywhere on the East Rift Zone or down in Puna or at the summit that would be creating VOG at this time? 
there really isn't a Vogue problem at this time. We just do not have the level of emissions from, from Kilauea that, that are enough to produce widespread Vogue. We are releasing sulfur dioxide from the summit in the tens of tons per day range, which, as you recall, is an order of, order of magnitude lower than it was pre-2018 when we were in the many thousands of tons per day. Uh, some of the sulfur dioxide is going into solution in the water lake, so the actual numbers are probably higher, but we can't see that because of the dissolution in the lake. Uh, and on certain wind-conditioned days, especially slack winds or Kona winds, people living around the summit of Kilauea might smell a little bit of primarily hydrogen sulfide. Uh, so there's still a, an occasional odor, but it's nothing at all, of course, like the levels of all that the island has been used to for the decade leading up to 2018. Well, and we're liking that a lot. <laughs> Obviously, everybody is. So... Tina Neal, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you now was that there was a paper released on April 22nd and published in the journal Nature, which is a pretty well-respected journal, I understand, by University of Miami volcanologist saying the cause of the 2018 massive eruption was rain. And I guess my first area of surprise was that the University of Miami, given that Florida is one of the flattest states in the Union and has zero volcanoes, even has volcanologists. But talk to us about this paper. Should we be worried about rain causing future volcanic eruptions? Well, the short answer to that is is no. Uh, as you know, the Big Island receives a lot of rain, and uh, we certainly don't want people to feel like when there's a heavy rain period that uh, there's a, an increased chance of an eruption uh, as just a standard uh, condition of the background. The paper produces some interesting hypotheses, um, as you say, that potentially it was a, a period of high rain that triggered the final opening of the 2018 eruption. And first, I just want to say that this question of what actually triggers a volcanic eruption in the very end is really an important one. It's something that HVO and all volcanologists try to address through various means. So we welcome people obviously trying to get at the answer to that question. It's a complicated question. Even though we try to simplify our model of volcanoes in the end, it's likely a complex combination of a lot of factors that really lead up to an eruptive event. However, that being said, the study that was published in Nature does have some issues with it that our scientists are, are trying to tackle right now. And in fact, there will be a formal submission of a response to their paper to try to point out some of the disagreements or some of the places where we think they may have um, not done due diligence in their analysis of the data. But as an aside, that's of course how the scientific process works. Scientists collect data, try to address a question, develop a hypothesis, and support it in a public peer-reviewed publication, and then this information is debated in the literature. So even though this has caught, caught us all with kind of an interesting attention-grabbing title, this is how the scientific process works. And just a brief interruption to remind you, this is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. We are here every Sunday on KWXX and B97B93, and every Friday on KPUA 670 AM in Hilo. And Island Conversations is always available as a podcast, wherever you get podcasts like Apple Podcasts, etc., or online at kwxx.com or at b97hawaii.com. Today we're talking with Tina Neal. She's the scientist in charge at Hawaiian Volcano Observatory about Mauna Loa, 
Kilauea, and about the study that scientists at the University of Miami said showed that rain is what caused the 2018 eruption of Kilauea volcano. Next week, we're going to move into another topic, which is agriculture and energy. One way or another, we are going to get back to normal, and County Council member Tim Richards, who's chair of the Council's Committee on Agriculture and Energy, is going to share some insights about agriculture and energy, how they're related, and what our island really needs to think about as we move forward, particularly as we've been learning a really good lesson about how dependent our island is on others for our sustenance. By the way, we are updating news about COVID-19 and other things as well every single day, multiple times online, kwxx.com. Before we get back to our discussion with Tina Neal, let's hear from our great sponsor, KTA Superstores. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. And now back to Tina Neal of Hawaiian Volcano Observatory. Obviously, I was very interested in Hawaiian Volcano Observatory take on this whole thing. HVO's analysis of the 2018 data, based on you know, many decades of watching Kilauea, looking carefully at our monitoring data, are that it really wasn't rainfall that was the final trigger, but rather that the volcano had reached some threshold of pressurization. And we came to that conclusion based on looking at not only the visual data, seeing lava levels high, both at Kilauea Summit inside Hale Mountmo and also at Puo but also our deformation data, uh, GPS, tilt, all those sources of looking at ground motion indicated that the whole magmatic system at Kilauea from the summit to the rift zone was pressurized. It was engorged with melt, and it must have reached, again, some critical threshold where it could no longer contain that pressure, and that's what began the events that unfolded on April 30th into May of 2018. The rainfall hypothesis is basically saying that if you have enough water that infiltrates a volcanic edifice, that it can produce poor pressure in the system and basically lubricate the structure so that it will open more easily. Um, and that's an interesting idea, and there is certainly value in trying to address what is it about the volcanic structure that causes it to break at some point. But again, our retrospective analysis is that the rainfall prior to 2018 was not that anomalous and that the kinds of pressures that they model were really not great enough to drive an eruption as they described. So all I can say is stay tuned for the continuing dialogue on this topic. And in the meantime, people should not be concerned that in a heavy rain event we're likely to see an eruption. Well, East Hawaii and Volcano always have rain events that are heavy rain events. One of the, I I tried to read as many articles as I could after that paper came out. And one that intrigued me was the Smithsonian article. And that article starts out noting that there was very heavy rainfall in April 2018, but they referenced 49 inches of rain on Kauai, which they said is just northwest of Kilauea. And I'm thinking, well, like, 
way northwest in a completely different climate zone. And I was pleased, though, that the Smithsonian article did include dissenting opinions from scientists at UC Berkeley and also from Michael Polland, who has been at Hawaiian Volcano Observatory and I think is now in Wyoming. But it just kind of didn't feel real that if rainfall were truly the cause, it seems like we would have had a lot more volcanic eruptions over the years. Well, that's a good point. And the authors do make the point that they don't necessarily think that there's an exact one-to-one correspondence between heavy rain and eruption at all times, but that in a volcanic system that may be primed or on the verge of eruption for other reasons that a heavy rainfall event might be kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back. So that's really where the crux of the argument and the debate will be going forward is is what was the final sort of trigger, is is a good word, that forced the system to actually erupt. So definitely worth discussing, and you'll see more debate about it in the literature. The other element of their study that I think HVO folks uh, take a little bit of exception to is how they actually calculated rainfall over the entire edifice of the volcano. So you can imagine it's not as simple as, as you point out, rainfall in Kauai doesn't translate to rainfall in the Middle East drift zone of Kilauea. You have to be very thoughtful about what values you use from what data sources. The other challenge in in the the model is what do we know about the subsurface structure of the volcanoes and the hydrology, groundwater transport? Which way does water flow at what elevation below ground? Likely, it's an extremely complicated situation. We know that from drill hole data around the island. The groundwater system is not a simple layer cake. So I think part of the challenge here is being honest about what we do and do not know about the subterranean hydrology. I know that it's pretty common for scientists and researchers to consult with other scientists before they publish papers to share their underlying data so other scientists can review and comment and critique. And I'm curious, did these University of Miami scientists come to Hawaiian Volcano Observatory, share their data, review what they were doing with you all, who are certainly closest to this situation and certainly would have the most data? Mm Mm-hmm. The scientists presented this study and their preliminary conclusions at a, a, a meeting in December of 2019, the American Geophysical Union meeting. And uh, I know leading up to that meeting, there had been some dialogue with some HVO and other USGS scientists. And certainly leading up to the publication, there has been some back and forth. Um, and in the process of HVO scientists preparing a formal comment, there has been continued dialogue about the details of their study. So there's been a lot of back and forth. It's not uncommon that that, uh, peer-reviewed literature results in this kind of debate. So I think we just need to let this play out and see what, in the end, the consensus scientific interpretation is. Well, I have to confess I have a bit of a bias because I have interviewed so many Hawaiian Volcano Observatory scientists over the past 15 years since I've been doing this work. And I really have huge respect for HVO and the work you all do. And I still find it amazing that the University of Miami scientists would, in a way, and I know this is probably not right, but they would presume to tell HVO scientists what caused our volcano to erupt. Yes, I understand your perspective. And actually, one of the most wonderful things about Hawaii's volcanoes and really the the monitoring system that HVO has in place and the openness of sharing data in the modern scientific world is that truly scientists who are halfway around the world can do studies of Kilauea or Mauna Loa based on the data that they can obtain 
out there on the Internet and in the environment. So even though, as you say, Florida doesn't have active volcanoes, the university system there actually has scientists who study volcanoes, and they can do this remotely. So I think it's just important to encourage an atmosphere of, as you described, data sharing and conversation and back and forth and collaboration. And I know that in the end, uh, there will be more literature on this topic, and uh, we'll be slowly moving forward in our understanding of what caused the 2018 eruption. Tina Neal, I want to talk to you about one more thing, but before we do that, do you have anything to add about Kilauea, Mauna Loa, or any of the other volcanoes that Hawaiian Volcano Observatory monitors? Well, as I always do, Sherry, I think I would just like to remind folks that even though we're in a period of volcanic quiet right now, and as you pointed out, we're enjoying the fog-free skies, Kilauea and Mauna Loa are active volcanoes, and they both will erupt again. So we have a lot on our minds right now with the virus and uh, sheltering in place and trying to survive this time. But Hawaii is an active geologic area, and there will be future eruptions and earthquakes and tsunami and all sorts of things. So people uh, need to, as part of their broad preparedness approach to life, uh, just be mindful of what's going on and and listen to authorities and, and be ready for the next event. We can't say exactly when it's going to happen, but we can say it will happen. We just want to reassure folks that HCO is continuing to track the volcanoes closely, even in this time of, of disruption, and we will be there to issue warnings as early as possible. Well, it's really a nice thing that the coronavirus did not come along in the summer of 2018. I'm not sure our island could have handled two major crises at the same time. Now, Tina Neal, you have been scientist in charge at Hawaiian Volcano Observatory for about five years, and I know you are preparing to move back to a new assignment, I'm guessing, at Alaska Volcanoes Observatory. Is that where you're going? That's correct. Okay. And I should say moving back because I know that you were in Alaska before, and I, I just ask you to share any reflections you might have about your time here, your five years here, because you're going to be leaving probably in six or so weeks to go back to Alaska. So what are you thinking about as you prepare to do that? Well, reflecting on these five years is not a simple task. I have uh, certainly an amazing array of experiences and, and memories from the last five years. In preparing to answer that question, I was reflecting on what I had hoped to accomplish when I got here in 2015. And the two things that I had hoped to focus on were, one, preparing for the next Mauna Loa eruption, and two, trying to, to grow the staff of HVO and provide the very hardworking, overtaxed scientists there with some additional uh, reinforcements and help. On the first point, preparing for the Mauna Loa eruption, we made a concerted effort to talk about it with the community, talk about it importantly with our emergency management partners in terms of the Park Service and civil defense. And I think we have made progress in getting people to think about the next event and what needs to be put in place to respond most most effectively and safely. Uh, of course, there's always more work to be done. And then we had this surprise event at Kilauea where our attention was focused for many months on the Lower East Drift Zone. So, Perhaps uh, going forward, as I said, we just need to maintain some low level of of attention to preparing for the next eruption of both of the volcanoes. And I think HVO and our emergency management partners at Civil Defense and Park Service are are well positioned for that. In terms of growing HVO, uh, we were on track to make some good progress on that prior to 2018. We had uh, a couple of longtime staff retire, and so 
able to bring in some, some earlier career people. And then 2018 happened, and thanks to, I think, the attention that HBO received during that eruption and the good graces of congressional funding, we now have been able to add some positions. So we've got a, a crop of new scientists and uh, help coming in later on this calendar year after I leave. But I, I guess I, I'd like to point out that I think HBO will be in a really wonderful position to be stronger and uh, more well-staffed for the next generation of, of both monitoring and research and also crisis response. So uh, I'm gratified on that account. I'm sorry it took the 2018 drama to potentially get us there, but HBO is in a good position and will be in a much better position once our new facilities are constructed to, uh, to continue its wonderful work into the next century. That's all good to hear. So are you going to miss Hawaii when you go back to the cold climbs of Alaska? I will always miss Hawaii. Leaving here is hard under any circumstances, and it's especially hard leaving under these circumstances where it's going to be hard to say goodbye to people. But it's been a very rich and rewarding five years, and Alaska has lots to offer volcanically and personally. So we're looking forward to getting back, but we will always be watching what goes on over here, and I will certainly be staying connected for the foreseeable future with my colleagues here at HVO. Tina Neal, thank you so much for your time. Aloha. Thank you, Sherry. And that was Tina Neal, scientist in charge at Hawaiian Volcano Observatory. Remember that you may hear Island Conversations as a podcast anytime at kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com or anywhere you get podcasts. This is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.